Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew. We're going to be in a lot of uh, different books of the Bible tonight. We're going to be reading Matthew, and we will also have the notes on the screen. Uh, We've got them in our FC app as well uh, under our sermon notes, if you want to follow along that way, if that makes it a little bit easier for you. Um, But let's get into it. We're going to start with Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. This is Jesus talking. He says this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A couple weeks ago, we covered the first part of it. And now we are picking up this next petition of the Lord's prayer, which is forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I'm currently going through Financial Peace University, the second time I've done it, just kind of a refresher and Dave Ramsey is all about this thing called the debt snowball. Anyone ever heard of the debt snowball? It's you, you list out all your debts with the smallest one, and you pay minimum payments on all the other ones, and you put as much as you can towards the first one. And then once the first one's paid off, you take that chunk, you put it towards the second one. And when that one's paid off, you put it towards that next one. And so it's like the amount of money you're putting in each debt is just snowballing and hopefully knocking out these debts. He said that uh, for most people, they're able to be debt-free in 24 months. That's awesome, isn't it? Debt-free in 24 months. When we pray this prayer, forgive us our debts, we're going to do a little Dave Ramsey on this bad boy right here. So um, to pay off our debts, we have to know uh, how much we owe and who we owe it to, right? It's like you have a house payment, you, you have that mortgage, that check comes out every month, and it goes to Bank of America or whoever it may be. And so if you've got, let's do something together. If you've got a pen, if you've got a piece of paper, um, if you can open up uh, the notes app on your phone, or if you're doing this on um, the FC app, you can do this. We're going we're gonna to do a little experiment here, okay? We're going we're gonna to do some debt snowball on um, this part. So everyone, go ahead, and, and I want you to write down, I want you to follow along. I want you to make two columns. I want you to write down who I owe, who I owe, and then how much I owe. So you got two columns. You're listing out your, your debts here. So in the first case, let's look at uh, who we owe. So uh, forgive us our debts. Who are we indebted to here in this, in this, uh, this instance? Who are we indebted to? How did we start this prayer? Our Father in heaven. There we go. We're still talking to the same guy in this prayer, all right? It's the same. We haven't, we haven't started talking to Steve, all right? We're talking, still talking to God. Um, so we're indebted to God, right? Yes. Um, okay. So now, we got that. We got that part listed out. Now, when it comes to how much we owe, I want you to go ahead and how much, write down how much you owe. And this is where we have to be a little bit vulnerable. You know, if I were to ask you how much you owe on your house, probably be a little uncomfortable, a little awkward. Go ahead and write down how much you owe to God. How much are you indebted to God? Any, anyone, anyone want to share? Yeah? Everything. Not just everything, more than everything, right? We would never, if we were trying to pay back God in this debt snowball scenario, we would never be able to pay back in this lifetime or a hundred lifetimes. We would never be able to, to pay back that debt. 
Um, it is an impossible debt. Uh, more than any of us are capable of paying, more than any of us um, are, are willing to pay or, or, or even able to pay if we, if we have the ability to pay, right? Um, we are infinitely indebted to God. And what has put us in debt to God? Sin. Sin, yes. Um, that, was, that was an easy, that was a softball answer. Let's look at a few verses here just so we're all on the same page. We'll look at Romans chapter three. There's a couple of verses here. Romans chapter three, verses nine and 10 says then, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. Then we look at Romans three twenty three. for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We look at a verse like Isaiah chapter 64 uh, verse six, it says, we have all become like the one who is unclean and all our, our, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and the iniquities uh, like the wind take us all away. So here's the thing, when it comes to our debt to God, it doesn't matter how much your bank account says right now. It doesn't matter what your credit card limit is. Um, when it comes to our spiritual bank account, we are bankrupt. And we have no moral or spiritual ability to pay back that debt that we owe. And, and so what needs, to, what needs to happen, right? We need, we need someone, an outside force to come in and either pay off that debt or the debt holder to cancel that debt, right? Yeah, and so um, our debt was paid, Anthony's getting ahead of me, our debt was paid on the cross by Christ. We look at, at 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed, you were redeemed, you were bought back um, from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So this outside debt that is canceling, or this outside force that is canceling our debt is God intervening on our behalf. It's Christ taking that punishment. It's Christ um, taking that payment and, and, and taking that debt from us. Um, it is God doing the work, right? Just so we're clear, it is God doing the work for us. It is God removing these scales from our eyes. It's God drawing us. If you want to use a theological term, it's God regenerating us, God giving us a new spirit, a new will that enables us to walk in a way that honors him, that pleases him. Um, it is God drawing us to Christ. And even when it comes to our willingness to believe, it is God granting us the gift of faith. We look at Ephesians Chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is, a gift, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So in this verse, we read that it's a gift. And a lot of times we think of grace. Oh, the gift God gives us is grace, which is absolutely true. It's also faith, that he gives the grace to save us, but the faith that we are able to believe in what he's done. Um, so God regenerates, God gives, God justifies, he, he saves us from this immediate penalty of sin. Um, this is what we would call salvation, okay? So, I mean, like, you're, you're probably wondering why I'm talking about the salvation um, process. And we have to understand something, right? We're looking at the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer isn't necessarily a salvation prayer. Um, in fact, it's kind of hard for me to find a salvation prayer in, in the Bible, but um, that's neither uh, here nor there for, for tonight. Um, and it would seem that the, the Lord's Prayer, you know, what we're talking about right now is a little bit removed from the Lord's Prayer. And so why am I talking about salvation? Well, for, there's a couple of reasons. First, 
it's important that we know what it means to be saved, that we kind of know what that looks like, what that process is, um, our role in that, what God has done for us, right? So that's, that's kind of the big thing. But secondly, we have to establish, you know, what salvation is so we can see where we are now, right? So we see salvation and then we see where we are as God's, as God's children, because we're praying that God forgive us our debts. Well, I thought Christ forgave that debt. We look at a verse in, in John 19, verse 30, where Jesus even tells us that, that he's paid our debts on the cross. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This phrase, it is finished, in the Greek has these financial connotations where it's like the, the book is closed, like the account is closed, the debt has been settled. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I, that, that debt that you have owed is closed. Um, Christ satisfied God's justice by his death on the cross. Um, and, and he did it when he died for, for God's people. Um, and, and these sins, they can't be punished again because that would go against God's justice, right? God's, if Christ has died for my sins, I can't be punished again. He's, he's already paid for them once. So, so our sins are either paid for by a substitute or they're paid for by us. They're either paid for by Christ on the cross or we pay for them in eternity in hell, separated from God. And so, so we see this. And so if Jesus has paid this debt, why are we saying, forgive us our debt? Because what we're doing here in the Lord's prayer is we are not asking God to save us on a daily basis. God, come into my heart. Forgive me. I need you again, right? I believe that you're the Lord. We're not. This isn't a salvation prayer. We've already been saved. We're establishing that. We've already been justified we, we, when we expressed saving faith. And, and so when I was a child, when I was a teenager, I thought that every time I sinned, I was like, I need to be saved again. I need to be saved again. Yeah, the pastor would be like, hey, raise your hand if you, if you are far from Christ. You need to rededicate your life to Christ. I'm like, well, yeah, I had a pretty rough week. Yeah, I need to rededicate my life to Christ. And there was, there was no security. There was no assurance in that salvation that I had. And because there was no assurance, because there was no security of that salvation, there was no growth that was able to happen. And so I was like, yeah, I need salvation. Yeah, I need salvation. What I needed was to understand that I was saved, but there is a process that's happening after that. So even though we've been saved, even though our debt has been paid, we're still not perfect. Um, While we are still alive, we will never reach perfection. The goal as a follower of Christ is not just to do better, to be a good person, um, I saw a quote from a very well-known pastor that if I were to say his name, you guys would know who it is immediately. Um, and he said this, he said, the goal is not perfection. The goal is progress. And I, my immediate thought, my dad actually posted that, his, that quote on Facebook. And I said, um, Jesus would disagree with you. And he's, he's like, what? And I said, yeah, Matthew 5:48, where Jesus said, you must be perfect as your father is perfect. Peter would kind of disagree. First Peter 1, 16, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And so this prayer isn't a prayer of salvation. What this prayer is showing us is that sin is a serious problem. Um, and it needs to be addressed in our lives um, on, a, on a daily basis. That while we are still upright, while we are still walking, while we are still breathing, our goal is to live perfectly, but we fall short of that goal. And that we're to be holy as God is holy. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that we're a new creation. The old is gone. The old is dead. The new has come. Galatians 2.20 tells us that it's no longer us, but Christ living in us. 
And these are absolutely true, but there's also this dynamic that's happening that we are still battling with the flesh that Paul talks about, that I do these things I don't want to do, the things I know I need to do, I don't do them, right? What a wretched person I am. And so what happens in this new creation is it doesn't settle like the old creation does. It doesn't settle like the old creature. This new creation um, strives to honor God. It strives to live for God, and it recognizes when it has fallen short. And so one of the markers of a genuine, true Christian, a true believer is going to be this perseverance. It's not giving up, um, not settling for where you are, but continually pushing on to become more and more like Christ. And so this means a couple of things um, tonight, and it means more than a couple of things, uh, but just a couple of things that we're going to highlight tonight. I'm going to go around the front. Um, so one of the things that it means is that um, as we, we, so we've got here, we've got these two graphs. I was really bad at math. So if the graphs are off, just uh, excuse, display my ignorance. Um, but it means that one of two things, um, not one of two things, it means two things. So in our Christian walk, so say this, this right here, this little access point right here is the time of our conversion. And this is the time of our death. And that as we walk in our walk, as we continue our walk with Christ, um, there should be this upward trajectory of, of a growth in Christ, that, that we are, our aim is to be more and more like Christ. And a lot of times we think it's, it's like this, or what we want it to be is like this. Um, but what it, a lot of times what it is, is it's like this, right? But, it, but it's like the stock market where hopefully it continues to, to trend upward. And our, our, grow, our walk in Christ continues to become more and more and more like him. Simultaneously, what's happening is in our Christian walk, there is this pattern of sin that is lessening and lessening. A lot of times what, we, what happens is we, the aim is this. Um, we hope that it just goes straight like this, but it doesn't. But we hope that it goes, hey, it goes down. And then, okay, okay. But it continues to go down and trend. Oh, kind of screwed up, but there it goes down and down. And that in our walk with Christ, the pattern of sin becomes less and less as we grow closer and closer to Christ. And while we never reach perfection on this earth, we look back at, you know, oh man, I've been serving Christ for, for 10 years. Man, I've got so long to go, but look how far I've come. Um, or, or in the same, same way here, we look at, man, man, look at where I am. I, I'm nowhere near perfection down here, like with no sin, but I'm much further from where I've become. And, and what happens um, as we grow closer and closer to Christ, this pattern of sin becomes less and less. But what happens here is the sin that is in our life is magnified more and more and more and more. And our attitude is this of the Apostle Paul that he writes in 1 Timothy. He writes this verse a few years before his death. He writes this verse after a radical conversion with Christ. He writes this verse after um, 10, 10 books of the Bible, writing 10 letters to churches. He writes this book after, he writes this verse after um, planning churches, after years of persecution. He writes this in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, of whom I am the chief, of whom I am the worst. Now, is Paul saying that, hey, where I am now, I sin more now than I did previously? No. He's not saying that. What he is saying is that as I have gotten closer and closer to Christ, I recognize these shortcomings and the sin in my life becomes more and more offensive to me in the sight of a holy and perfect God. 
And that as we grow in Christ and this pattern of sin becomes less and less, even though it's less and less, our awareness of it is more and more because we realize that sin is no small matter and it is against a holy and perfect God. And so we're in this part of the Lord's prayer. It says, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Man, failure to acknowledge a sin in our life is, is, is us saying that God's commandments, that his word, that, that God in and of himself, they're not important. And if, if sin is no big deal in your life, if sin is not addressed in your spiritual leaders, if sin is not addressed in the people you listen to, if sin is not addressed in the Christian books that you are reading or whatever it is, um, if it's avoided and people are like, hey, we're just going to give you five steps to live your most victorious life now and sin is never addressed and it's not a big deal, then I will tell you that God is not a big deal. Sin, sin's a huge deal. In the few verses of the Lord's prayer, when they're like, hey, teach us to pray, Jesus addresses sin. He addresses this debt that we owe to God. And so it can't be, be overlooked. And so there's this attitude that has to come when it comes to repentance. And we see what that attitude is in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Um, Paul writes, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so we go back to what Jesus said when he said, hey, don't pray like the pagans, like the Gentiles who just repeat words and words and words and words. And so this is why we don't have a mindless repetition of the Lord's prayer. That we say, Father, forgive me, I've sinned. Um, man, that game's coming on pretty quick. Yeah, cool, you get it, man. Yeah, okay, God, we're good. All right, catch you later. That we have this attitude, this godly grief that we say, I've sinned against my father. I've sinned against the creator of the universe. I've sinned against the holy and perfect God. And that is no small matter. Father, forgive me of this debt. And so what happens when we ask for forgiveness? First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgive us our debts in the back end of that as we also have forgiven our debtors. There's a parable in Matthew 18. I didn't put the scriptures on there just because it's, it's a lot, um, but I'll give you a somewhat um, shortened version, but really, as I was looking at it, it's not that shortened. Um, but uh, Matthew 18, Jesus tells us parables to his disciples, and it starts out by Peter asking, Lord, how often should I forgive those who sin against me? And he thinks he's being really holy. He says seven times, and Jesus says, no, 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 not seven, but 70 times seven. As often as you have got to forgive someone, you forgive them. And he goes on to give this parable about this guy who owed his master this insane amount of debt. Jesus uses the, the exaggerated figure of like 10,000 talents. It'd be like me telling you, you owe $32 trillion. The US government can't pay it back, so you probably aren't gonna pay it back either. But you owe $32 trillion. This master calls his debt. He's like, I can't pay. And so he's going to sell him, his wife, his kids, his cat, his dog, everything he owns, um, and throw him into jail. And the guy begs for mercy. And the master extends mercy, extends forgiveness and cancels the debt and sends him home. That guy goes back to his house and he calls in a debt of one of his fellow workers who's just, it's a little bit, it's not that much, especially compared to what he owed and the guy can't pay it. And so instead of extending mercy and forgiveness, this guy throws him in jail. The king catches wind of what the guy did. He calls him back and he goes, you wicked servants, you couldn't extend mercy just as you were given mercy? <clears throat> he says, get out of here, throws him in jail. What's the point of that? What's the purpose of that? 
right? It's not that difficult that we, you and I have been forgiven of this impossible debt that has eternal consequences. And so what should our response be? It's to forgive those who have wronged us, to forgive each other, to extend the same mercy and grace. And here's why, because a transformed heart will manifest itself in a transformed life that extends mercy to others, that extends forgiveness to others. And someone who is unwilling to extend mercy and extend forgiveness, they have an experience of forgiveness of God. They can, they can say, I'm a Christian, I can say this, but if they're holding, if they're bitter and they're not willing to forgive, you haven't experienced life-changing forgiveness that comes through God. You're not a new creation. Yeah. Jesus ends the prayer like this. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The first question that we may run into as we're reading this um, part of the Lord's prayer is like, does God tempt us? right? Lead us not in temptation. It kind of reminds me of when Jesus said, may your name be kept holy, right? That's not like, I hope it does. I hope your name is holy. Like it's going to be holy. Um, James 1 makes it really clear that God does not tempt us. James 1, 13, let no one say when he is tempted, um, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So God doesn't tempt, but God will allow us to be tested. Um, we look at, at the first chapter of Job. Job's a case study on, on people being, or, or man being tested, um, being allowed to be tested by God. Um, we look at Matthew 4, which we see where the Spirit leads Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted. And at first glance, you're like, wait, hold on, what's going on there? Um, that word in the Greek is parazo. Um, it also means to test. We see the same word used in Hebrews 11, uh, 17, where it talks about Abraham being tested. Um, with, with Isaac. And so it's not, we got to make sure we're understanding here that the spirit isn't tempting Jesus. He is leading him in the desert to be tested. Satan does the tempting in this work. Um, we see in first Peter verse one, six and seven, I'll get to you just give me one second. Um, first Peter uh, one, six and seven, where Jesus talks about the testing of our faith, that same Greek word there, um, the, the parazo. Uh, so, so you've got, um, Abraham, being tempted uh, to disobey God. Um, you've got Job being tempted to curse God and die, you know, forsake God. Uh, you've got Jesus being tempted to kind of forsake this, this plan that God has and, and kind of rush it. Satan's like, no, just go ahead and do this and, and everything will be yours or, or bow down to me. So Jesus is being tempted to, um, uh, you know, forsake God, forsake submission to God and, and submit to the devil. They all pass. Uh, but, but this is the, the temptations in the test. And, and what we see in life boils the, kind of two main things. You have things that are good and bad. Um, you have things that, you know, you want to say triumphs and trials or whatever, um, pain and pleasure. And even in these two categories, um, there is still temptation that can happen. So, for example, you see in the good, there's a temptation that would be to idolize the good things, um, to, to say, hey, things are going well in my life. And so what's going to happen is I'm just going to say, hey, maybe I don't need God. Um, we we, we take, down, uh, take God out of the number one spot in our lives. Um, we, we say, we forget that he is our treasure. He is everything that we have. And so there's this temptation, even in the good, um, to, to forsake God. So what do we do in the good? We honor him. We glorify him. We say, everything I have comes from you. Thank you, um, for blessing me. Thank you for what I have. And so we don't give into temptation in the good times. In the bad times, we have 
Um, what our goal should be is to trust God, to have peace in God, to have faith in God, that he is going to come through. The temptation would be to forsake God, to disobey God, um, to say, God, your plan is bad. You don't know what you're doing. I'm out of here. And so we say, lead us not into temptation. Um, And and it, it can happen in good and bad. The temptation to forsake God, the temptation to um, to, to leave God, temptation to turn away from him. So God, don't, in those testings, in those trials, don't let me forsake you. Don't let me turn from you because God is not tempting us. Uh, James chapter one, verses two and three, uh, James says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds or trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So don't let me fall into temptation. Don't let me turn my back on you. Instead, let me trust in you, even in the season of pain and hurt that you're working on me. Let, let, you, let me submit to you and, and burn away all the fluff so what's remaining is a steadfast and solid faith in you. Um, and we know that when we're tested and we're tempted, that it's not a death sentence, right? That, that being tempted is not a sin, um, that even, in when, even when we are tempted, that God has given us a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Um, this is, is commonly um, taken out of context and people say, God won't give you more than you can handle. Um, he won't give you more temptation than you can handle. Uh, just make sure he won't let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So there is a way to avoid temptation or to escape temptation, sorry, without compromising, without dishonoring God. James 4 tells us that how, how we do that. We submit ourselves to God. We resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse eight starts out and it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Man, our means of escape in times of temptation is submission to God. It's drawing near to him. It's, it's hiding his word in our heart so that we may not sin against him. Submitting to God because he's our deliverer. He's our fortress. He's our strength. A few weeks ago, we talked about the names of God in the Old Testament, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom. There's one found in Psalm 18, Jehovah Mephalti, God my deliverer. God delivers us. God protects us. Psalm 18, verses one and two. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer my God, my rock, and whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. In the face of temptation and trials, we submit to God. We resist, we fight. We're not passive in this temptation battle, whatever it may be, may be. No, 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 we fight. And we trust that God, our deliverer, comes to our rescue. God, don't let these tests that I face put me in such a place that the temptation is more than I can bear. Martin Luther said this, We cannot help being exposed to the assaults, but we pray that we may not fall and perish underneath them. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some translations may add, um, for yours is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever. Amen. That's not necessarily in the earliest Greek text, like the earliest manuscripts. It's nothing theologically wrong with that, um, with, with saying that at the end of the prayers. But uh, that is um, 
the Lord's Prayer in the past few weeks that we've been talking about it. Next week, we'll be wrapping up our series on prayer, um, but I think it's appropriate that we close out tonight in prayer. Father, we come before you this evening. God, thanking you that uh, in you is all that we need. Um, God, thank you that, uh, God, you have outlined in your word how we should pray, how should we should approach you. God, that we come before you knowing the intimacy that we find with you, but we keep your name holy. God, and we pray that your will would be done, that we would submit to you. God, that you would provide for us exactly what we need for each day. God, whether it's our physical needs or our spiritual needs, God, that you give us exactly what we need. God, and we ask, God, that our sin, which is so ugly and so hideous in the sight of a perfect and holy God, that you forgive us of our imperfections, of our sins and our faults. God, and let us extend mercy and forgiveness to others. God, and when we're tempted, when we're tested, God, that you deliver us, that you protect us. God, we love you. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.